Services Committee when I first started working at TVA. Rock on. Yeah. Well, and even before that, just as partly as a member and then with the theater company. Yeah. Just ended up, mm-hmm. you know, Dale has always been a wonderful resource. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great to kind of say, well, you might think about this or you might want to do that. And what I love about it is you have a polite way of letting somebody know that <laughs> their dream, their hope is falling short of what might typically fly. You're not saying, no, you can't do it, but you might want to consider this, or typically what is done is this, and for that person, I'm suddenly going, oh, <laughs> I don't have all that. And so in a very polite way, you kind of let me know, yeah, you should do your homework, <laughs> which worked for me. I, I don't know if I still hold the record, but there was a while where I was the cash grant dude uh, at <laughs> public theater. Yeah. In fact, the last time I applied, you guys now require a budget. I'm like, damn it, I got so many grants because I would always put a budget in and people didn't. Right, right. <laughs> so you're not supposed to put a budget in? They had to just require it. They were yeah. trying to make it as easy as possible. Oh, and people didn't realize easy is one thing, but attractive is another thing. And a panel of your peers, a panel of mm-hmm. artists from the community are going to read your proposals and then go, wow, okay, who should we support? And when you're trying to decide what is what is somebody going to do with X amount of dollars, and back when I first was doing it, I think it's fifteen hundred individual mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and twenty five hundred for a show, something like that. And when somebody wants fifteen hundred dollars, you're like, well, if their whole budget is fifteen hundred dollars, it's like, well, wait a minute, we're not just going to pay for their show. So I felt like if you sh- if I show them a budget and say, wow. If you give me this, and I charge these other people this, and we make this much at box office, now my budget looks like a reasonable sort of thing, and putting the money in to support it will just lift it up to that next level. But I might squeak by somehow without it. You know, um, It just makes it sound like a more credible project than the guy whose budget is $1,500 for an amazing costume, and that's it. And you're like... Yeah, yeah, I totally hear you. So I did every every time I applied, I always put a budget in, Mm -hmm. and I got a bunch of them. And 
So I, and I had applied in years, and I applied maybe a year or so ago, and I went, oh, and now we're online. So it's, it's hey, kicking yeah. and screaming into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> but also, um, what's your company, Theater? Uh, theater Cube doesn't really exist anymore. Oh. I was producing for a while with yeah. Theater Cube, but yeah, we did it, you know, gamely for about 10 years. Yeah. But, hey. I, I always say open public theater is on hiatus. Yeah. If something comes up, I might feel like I want to go through the hell that is producing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm being adjusted. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's on a slow hiatus, but, you know, we, we want to resurrect it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, you know, finding that project and finding that situation where things can happen, yeah, that'd be great. I'm, I'm, you know, there are, I still read scripts, I still talk to people about development. Well, I should tell you now, because Cash, speaking of, uh, is it's not only online, of course, now, which makes it easier to apply, I think, but uh, got a third funder for, for Cash. Oh, great. So the dollar amounts that we give out every round have gone up significantly, and then the award amounts are going up as well. And so that's going to be many, How many people are, are awarded? Um, uh, it depends. It's a bank of money that we have to give away. Right. So okay. it depends on, on how many people apply and where the interest of the panel so is. and organization. Actually, that's changing, oh. which you believe. Yeah, so this is uh, our first round. We haven't rolled out our, our uh, guidelines yet, but uh, we're approaching it. We discovered it's really sort of arbitrary to have someone apply as an individual or as an organization because if you're developing work, it costs the same amount of money. If you're producing work, it costs the same amount of money. So right. that's where we're approaching it instead is where it's cash creates or cash performs. Oh, great. So regardless okay. of whether you're an individual organization. Okay. So an individual now could get a $5,000 grant. Wow. wow. In the name. Funny, funny, start writing. <laughs> it's worth it. And mm-hmm. what's interesting, too, is that we're using, there's always been this, um, uh, now I should say, again, that the guidelines aren't finalized yet for the fall, but what we're looking at is that um, there's always been an option for organizations to apply for organizational development, mm-hmm. but now there's going to be, uh, we're using the word capacity instead because capacity applies to individual artists more cleanly than organizational development, I think. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I think that opens the door a little bit for artists to apply for things that they may not have thought they were eligible for before in terms of building their own capacity to create and perform work. When you say capacity, you talk about audience? Capacity, well, it's kind of like organizational development. It's just taking a slightly different spin on it. I mean, it's more just about improving your capacity to do to do work. So oh, sure, having some sort of training or access to some sort of website that, that um, mm-hmm. to reach audiences perhaps or you know a marketing plan or, or something like that. So I think it's it's opening up a little bit more. That's fantastic. It's it's, it's it's like a garden. It's like you know this is the fertilizer, the water, all that stuff to grow. It's an ongoing conversation with TVA and it's funny because I I have been forwarding my own path for a while, but when the subject of TVA comes up, it's easy for me to talk about how TVA works, and part of it is that continual evolution. It's always looking for how do you better support the community. Mm-hmm. That's what we try for. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so it's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird entity because it's not like, rah, rah, we're just boosters. Right. We're really, we're really trying to reflect what is going on. We're not trying to push the theater in one direction or another. 
trying to reflect what's going on and so find the best support mechanisms for that. And if I can go ahead and say, too, because um, when I was thinking about what I was hoping we might talk about today, I mean, uh, it, in order for us to do that, mm-hmm. you, you'd kind of be shocked how many, uh, how, how, uh, I can't get a word right now, yeah. how um, rarely people actually kind of reach out to us mm-hmm. and say, hey, are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Mm-hmm. The thing that you're doing actually isn't what you think it's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, the amount of feedback that we get from the community, mm-hmm. and I feel like we, we do fairly regularly reach out. Yeah. But even aside from that, it's like, this is not a quiet community. Lord knows you, 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 know, you can scroll through anybody's Facebook page and sure. see <laughs> so much. But, mm-hmm. And I'll even stumble across things that people say, gosh, I wish Theodore Barry would do this, or Theodore Barry is doing this thing that I don't like or this thing that I do like, but I just stumble across it. And I'm like, well, gosh, wouldn't it be yeah. great <laughs> if it actually told yeah. said that to someone who's in theater area? So we know. It, yeah. It's so a situation where the TBA is only as good as the people who are, who, who put into it or who invested in it. I mean, it takes someone. I think that's a fair, to some degree, to some but degree. But like I was, I was on theater services committee for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing to sit at the table with all these other people. So it's artistic directors, representatives from organizations. You've got your ACT person that shows up. You've got your Berkeley rep person that shows up. But you also got the monster theater. musical theater company, community musical theater company down on the peninsula that has been around for a while and is a pretty substantial organization. And those conversations, well, it's great to hear everybody come in with their needs. Mm-hmm. What is it they want? What is it they need? And for TV as an organization to say, how can we respond to this, but not just in a knee-jerk fashion, but really, how is that going to benefit the whole community? So if you have, a, if you can bring up a problem that you're having, that working on that problem would help the whole community, then of course it's worth putting some energy towards that. If it's your specific little problem, we're sorry your landlord sucks and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Everybody's looking for space, so, yeah, when you call TBA up looking for space. Yeah, and, you know, if 97 people have that same niche problem, then there is, gosh, I guess there is actually a bigger problem, aside from there's some sort of trend that that needs to be addressed in some way. So so um, I think it is wonderfully reflective in that sense. And in that sense, it's also limited, because you're right. I am teaching right now, in fact, (laughs) today was day two of a program where I am, the official title is Studio Coordinator, but what it means is I am running this intensive for 10 days, 8 to 3. Eight, the kids start showing up around 8.30, and we put them back on a show at 3 o'clock. <laughs> and I am managing a playwriting instructor and a, an assistant, and I are running our actors too. So we got a cadre of writers and a group of actors, and we're doing all this stuff. We're going to go see a show Sunday. And so I was looking around. You know, I started with the places I knew and the people I knew. And it has to be an afternoon show. It has to be at 2 o'clock. It could be at 1 o'clock. 4 o'clock was pushing it, but maybe that could happen. It couldn't be 8 o'clock, and it couldn't be another day. And I've got to be able to bring 30-something people to the show. So Aurora, <laughs> that lady's so nice. She said, I will put you down, and if we come up with some more tickets, I will let you know that she called me back at the beginning of the week and said, we have 22 tickets. Sorry, we couldn't accommodate you. Uh, Berkeley Rep, yeah, couldn't get in there. Um, and then places 
because I really wanted to support eight o'clock shows or like theater, or not theater works, Central Works does a five o'clock show. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of wrestle back and forth, wrestle back and forth. And eventually it occurs to me, instead of just sticking with who I know and what I know, go to TVA. <laughs> What's playing now? So I, and it was, and I, I know that TV. I know TVA gets this feedback all the time. Why do you guys do this way? Or why isn't this easier? Why is it blah, 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 blah? And I had that initial. I went to the page and I'm like, I'm looking for a certain date. Why do I have to scroll through this? So I scrolled forward on the far forward button, on the double arrow button. Mm-hmm. There are shows listed till 2020. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay, go back. Because mm-hmm. I can scroll through three or four pages to get to the date I mm-hmm. need. I mean, TVA is, I mean, if people use TVA, Mm -hmm. then it becomes more useful. Well, the show we're going to Mm -hmm. is not listed in TVA. No. And it's, um, the theater company apparently just moved, in Concord, B8, and they just moved, and they've taken over a bank, it looks like, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, this is a decent-sized space, I, you know, I know, I'll know more about them after Sunday, Mm because we're going there, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, it's two blocks, as the crow flies, it's two blocks from Burke. It's a good-sized space. Um, they're going to do a play. It's called um, Sundown Town about b- back in the day when there were towns where if you were black, you better be out of town when the sun goes down. And a black man gets caught there after mm-hmm. sun. So I'm like, this could be, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You know, it's easy to pick a controversial subject. It's harder to make it into a, a worthwhile play. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go see that. And I'm like, wow, if they're doing all of that and especially taking – a you know, it's a relatively unknown playwright. I think the play was written in, like, 2005, and it was his first play. Um, if you're going to go to all that trouble, if you were connected to TVA, mm-hmm. the level of resource that you would have, mm-hmm. and when it comes to the money, what it costs to have, because I guess it's all one membership now? No, there's still, there's there's still different kinds of membership. Yeah, yeah, but submitting a show is free for everybody. Good to put out there. Um, but yeah, for them to take advantage of that resource would mean all you know the effort it takes to put a show up. Anything that you can take advantage of that's going to help you get the word out about your show, about what you're doing, about what's important to you. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Mm. Exactly. So get on TBA and use it. You know, you know, get the resources, learn about writing grants and what the requirements are. And if you got a show up. Then, you know, just contact TV yeah. and uh, they'll pop it up. And we should say, we should say theaterbayarea.org. Right. Exactly. Yes. And we'll, yeah. we'll have a link. We'll ah, have a that's the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I feel guilty, though, because I feel like I wanted to make sure we got Dale in as a theater artist mm-hmm. and not just took advantage of his day job. I know that. Such as the life. I think we're helping you out. That's the life. That's the life. So speaking of Dale, uh, I know that we usually talk about current events, yeah. but um, what brought you into, Norman and I have always talked about what brought us into theater, you know, how we got bit by the theater bug and how it sort of saved us in getting us out of the community that we're in. Uh, what's, your, what's your theater story? Uh, well, yeah, it's all ele- elementary school. It's all, um, you know, I, when I was in second grade, I wrote a play based on the comic strip The Family Circus. Wow. Because I didn't know anything about, you know, copyright, copyright. Um, so, yeah, I, I did that, like, second grade. That was fun. Um, and then when I was in seventh grade, our science teacher asked me to play the fourth wise man because she thought I was the only one that, that could memorize all the lines. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was like, this is pretty cool. So, yeah, just um, did uh, theater all through 
um, high school and college, took a number of years off. This is all in Ohio, and mm-hmm. took took time off uh, as I was I was working retail for a long time, so mm-hmm. had to you know scrape things together right. and uh, moved to California and finished my degree in arts administration, and then found my way back into actually doing work. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, when you were on stage at Skin of Our Teeth, was it a long time? I think you had not been on stage in a while. Well, lately, I've been in at least a, sh- a show a year, pretty much. Okay. Um, so, that, yeah, it may have been maybe one of my longer stretches, but... Yeah, because you seesaw, because you also direct. Yeah. Uh, did you direct something recently? Well, we just started rehearsals, actually, this week. Um, I'm directing Arsenic and Old Lace right. at oh the God. Douglas Morrison Theater in Hayward. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, uh, super fun cast, and... And normally, I'm not super excited about doing kind of, you know, what you consider the quote-unquote old chestnut, but right. it's an old chestnut for a reason. It's it is so funny. Yeah. I mean, it, it just is. It's 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 hysterical, and we're going to have a blast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and then I'm going to be directing right. A- after that, I'm going to head into and directing uh, The Further Adventures of Hedda Gabler at Dragon. <laughs> And where? At Dragon in Redwood City. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, looking at a head of Gobbler. Um, I was just going to say that, yes, yes. The yes. Open Public Theater, I'm um, sorry, not the Open Public Theater, off Broadway West. Oh, uh, uh, right. They put on Head of Gobbler, and I guess wonderful show, so. Well, this is as this is uh, a Jeff Whitty revisit um, as if, it's really as if Christopher Durang had written the sequel to Head of Gobbler. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, so. Um, a nice updated version, huh? It's, uh, it's hysterical. It's silly. I mean, Jar Jar Binks isn't in this part, <laughs> so that tells you something. Well, I, I keep hearing Dragon Theater. I've been hearing it for a few years now. Yeah. What is Dragon Theater? Well, yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you asked. I'm also on their board, so uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they're in Redwood City now. Um, they have a lovely space built to be a theater. How often do you hear that, right? right? Um, and uh, uh, they... Do a lot. Their mission is to do kind of uh, off the beaten path work, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they have a. In addition to that, they have an outstanding program um, called Second Stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, once a year, they let people uh, apply to pitch their dream show, mm-hmm. and uh, they give them a small amount of money to help hire the people they need to see that come to life. Mm-hmm. They provide the space. They provide the marketing. They. You know, it becomes part of the dragon season. It's just um, you know, the right. second stage productions are built into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and But they always just have this level of passion when you see the show. They're just, they just instantly feel differently. And, and I was able to do, when I did Take Me Out, it was through the dragon second oh, stage. Wow. Yeah, I um, really did that. Where yeah. is it located? It's in Redwood City, City, right on Broadway. Nice. Yep. Yeah, no, that's... Um, right down the street from the Fox Theater. Right. My wife is... Um, musician and she was performing there and so we went for dinner mm-hmm. they have to get there like hours early to do sound check and then sure. they sit around so we went out to dinner and I'm passing these posters and going who the hell is Dragon Theater mm-hmm. are, they, are they all Asian American no. No. Or nope. the name Dragon just nope. is yeah Edna the Dragon is the mascot that's fun yeah no 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 Here's a quick question for you, Dale. Um, When you went to school, we've been asking a lot of actors and directors about their technique. I mean, uh, did you 
And did you learn uh, any, um, I don't know, specific techniques, I don't know, Meisner or um, um, method acting, that sort of stuff? Well, I would say the training that I've had that has helped me most as a actor and director would be working with Bobby Whiteapple and doing trigger. Really? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, trigger and stretch work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's all kind of hearing him in. And he actually did direct uh, production for Theater Q when we were producing. Um, so to actually see it in action in that way, too, was extraordinary. What is stretch work? Well, um, well, there's... Yeah, I mean, I, I, he, he's kind of a trigger specialist. I also took stretch work for him, so that's just where I articulated, you know, what are the kinds of roles that I just feel like I mm-hmm. am not actually ever going to be really qualified for. And he's like, no, actually, you, sh- you should be, and this is, you know, just throw you into the, the oh, pool. You and I were talking about that, roles that, you know, we say. Well, I'm, I'm going to be playing Polonius, which was a big surprise to me. Um, and hopefully, I'm I'm being called back for uh, Equus. Oh wow, Dancer, which you know is a play I've known since high school sure. and loved. Um, would never ever imagine. Like as a kid, I prayed that there was some way maybe I could play the kid. Right. Um, you know, but that was decades ago. That that's gone. And isn't it funny though? Because like when you say that to me, I'm like, well, of course you you would play that. Of course you would. Well, that's so. I went to a general. Yeah, and on, they had their list of shows and said, "Which shows would you be interested in specifically?" And don't just tell us the show; tell us what role. Yeah. And I went down the list and went, "Any, any, any." Dice Hard. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after I auditioned, the guy said, "We're calling you in for Dice Hard," and I was like, "Wow, okay." Uh, it's a good thing that I had a lot of vocal training so that I can work on my British dialect because as a black man, British dialect is not my understanding. And I used it a few times in auditions and felt like I felt comfortable with what I was doing. I felt like it was received it was received well, but it was so outside their framework of what they were going to do uh-huh. that there was no way I didn't even get called back. I mean it was horrible. I did one where it was a cattle call and they kept me and a big white guy to read with all the women. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, so I read well. That's that's nice to know. <laughs> I really read well with my dialect. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to jump in and do these auditions, even if you're like, oh, that's just, that's, that's just impossible. I can't, can't envision myself. But you have no idea what, how you can influence the person who's doing the casting. Well, and you, even when you think you know, mm-hmm. what you're really doing is you're showing yourself and your understanding. And uh, for Polonius, what was funny is the director sort of apologized at the callback. I did my pieces, and he says, um, so I'm going to ask you to make some adjustments. No, this is no reflection on how well you did. I just, and I'm like, dude, I've been on the other side. I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking. <laughs> I've been on the other side of the casting table. I totally do that because I don't know if I'm going to consider you for the role that you're reading right now or the role that you think you came in for, but I'm thinking about this other role. So can you be romantic? I know that guy's the evil whatever. Can you show me romantic? <laughs> if you can show me some love. Well, now I can keep considering you. That may, may sound wrong, take another context. But I hear what you're What's saying. That? Yeah, it may sound wrong, take another context. But I hear what you're saying. Show oh, I got, um, I got Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> I, um, I got cock. And I went into audition. They didn't call me back for cock. They called me back for Lysander. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, man. So then I looked at the scene, and it's actually, it's right, it's the little two-person scene right after... You know, Theseus 
things that said, you do what your daddy says, or you'll go to your nutty or whatever. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be comforting her. And it's a goofy, I thought, a goofy little scene. And I went, well, if I'm going to be fuck, I should really play up the goofy. So that's what I did in the callback, was I totally played up the goofy. I tried to stay true, true to the text, but take it in a direction I've never read it that way. I always, always read it as the way it's so badly played so often. They're just two young lovers, and they're so sincere and heartfelt. So this is a sad moment for them. And instead, if I'm Mr. Goofy, hey, I know you're sad. I'm going to make you happy. <laughs> and I ended up getting cast as Puck, and I was like, oh, lesson learned. Mm-hmm. Well, since we're talking about auditions, um, how do you think the TVA generals, I mean, does it, it has, have you, it, has there been a positive feedback? I mean, um, it's of course there has. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the answer to the full answer to the question. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, it certainly provides a lot of value, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And especially over the last well, few years. expanded now, so there's South Bay, there's North Bay, right? Right, yeah, we do a South Bay, every, a South Bay Regional every year and a North Bay Regional every other year, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also the additional component in the, the Bay Area general auditions for the people who are doing our Atlas program that they get feedback on their audition. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of people do tend to put, uh, from the actor's perspective, put a whole lot of weight on on the generals, and I absolutely understand that, especially if you haven't ever done them before. Right. You really, really want to. You want to do it. Um, and, you know, it kind of, um, you know, it takes your year in a lot of ways. If you do the generals, there will be some auditions throughout the rest of the year. They may say, if we saw you at the TBAs, we don't need to see you again. Right. Um, Right, and then and you can't really tailor your audition for any particular company when you're right. when you're doing a general right. audition like the generals. Or so something. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I hope I hope that people are just kind of weighing it appropriately when they're putting all their eggs in the basket of the generals. Like it's it's a great thing to do, and absolutely, if you're new in town, for sure you want to do it. Yeah. If you're new as an equity actor, of course, you want to introduce yourself that way. Yeah. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's good for the companies who oh, will, yeah, totally. will participate. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully so. <laughs> but, so I think the place where I can, one place I can nuance this is to ask about, so for that person who's repeating, are there people that you see every year? Are there people who it's good to see every three to four to five years? Well, I mean, the good news for the non-equity actors is that it's a lottery. So the right. chance of someone actually, it's a weighted lottery, mm-hmm. so the chances right. of someone doing it every year mm-hmm. um, probably aren't great. Um, for the more experienced actors, or especially a more experienced actor of color, then yes, they, they may end up doing them a lot. Right. They're going to have a greater chance of getting in. That's how the weight comes into the lottery. Right. Um, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's perfectly reasonable to take a year off of applying even for the generals, um, you know, put your eggs in the basket of just trying to focus on a particular season, a particular company, the particular roles, and not just, you know, if you're introduced yourself to the community already, they know who you are, then it's time to get focused. And And they do know. You know, the folks who are there year after year, they know who you are, Uh Uh but they'll appreciate it if you take the drive down to the South Bay or up to the North Bay. That was the company I did. Their generals was up in the North Bay. I wanted right. to let them know, yes, I live in Oakland, but I'll come but up here. Not only will I come up here, but I've done it for your company. Yeah. It's been a few years. We can think about it again. I'm ready to think about it again. Uh-huh. Yeah. In, 
certainly, I mean, you know, there are definitely, I mean, hopefully there, there are actors who want to show something off new that they've gained from the last time that they've done it, whether it was the previous year or so. At the generals, it doesn't mean you can't do them consecutively, but hopefully it's, you know, you're showing something, you're ready to kind of really step up the game and show something yeah, different in there. And it sounds reasonable. I mean, if I'm doing an audition, especially a general, and I've done something, I've, I've never done a TDA general, but I did have, I've, I remember acting, uh, doing an audition for San Francisco State for the film, um, the film class. And I basically had to audition for everyone, and I had no idea um, who would select me or what have you, but I imagine if I've presented myself once, mm-hmm. if I do it again, especially if it's the same monologue, I mean, what I don't know what benefit I'm, I'm getting. Yeah, the same monologue is very, very little. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also people, uh, if you don't audition a lot, uh, let me tell you that doing the Theater Bay Area General Auditions is massively intimidating. Um, so I've done them myself twice. Mm-hmm. And... And I had already been out on the stage, like, welcoming the auditors and saying, here are the instructions and all that. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I'm standing backstage waiting for my turn to do my audition. And I thought I was going to die. Like, thank God I was in charge of the schedule and I had, like, a friend of mine behind me because she's, like, taking care of me as I'm getting ready to go on. Like, the first time I did them, I literally thought I was going to die. They are absolutely intimidating. And Norman, you and I, when we were having a dinner the other day, um, uh, you and me and Mara, we talked about rejection and the psychology of dealing with, you know, just whether it be the TDA generals or even just a regular audition for a company. And um, I do wonder about how actors balance it out. Whether they, you know, some actors it's easy for them to say, well, hey, listen, I gave it my best shot, let me just move on. But, you know, some, some, especially young actors, it can be really crushing. Well, and it's, I think that's one of the things you're talking about when people put too much on that. Right. This is a bunch of companies coming, and they're really, they may come with some specific ideas about what they want. They may come just to take the temperature of the, the talent pool right mm-hmm. now. And they may have a shopping list. They may be like, listen, I'm looking for a particular thing for this particular Right. Uh, a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know what they're doing, and it's ridiculous to hold TBA accountable for that. Mm-hmm. You know, TBA doesn't say, well, when you sign up for this, you have to let us know which, are you looking for this, or are you looking for that? TBA makes that very available. One of the things I love are the books of headshots of people who aren't coming, but they sent their stuff in anyway. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people go back to the ones who are looking, are on a shopping spree, will go back there and go, oh, okay, let's see what we got. You know, I need kids. I need black eyes. You know, whatever it is, they, they go and they look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we try to have something for the people who don't get an actual spot through the lottery, still have a way that they can be introduced in some way to the auditors. Right, so right, right, exactly. At least to something. Yeah. Um, can we jump into a little bit of current events? The, uh, yeah. The Facebook has been, so we just opened up a yay um, Facebook page, and I'm, you know, putting a little bit of ad dollars uh, in on that, so uh, by all means, jump on the uh, yay uh, Facebook thing and subscribe and all that stuff. Does that mean we need a donation? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to get advertised to folks who actually have money. Okay. But in any case, um, there have been a lot of talk about um, equal pay uh, for minorities and also for women. Um, Emma Stone, I think this week, had talked about how 
one of her co-actors had uh, lowballed their pay so that they could be equal pay so that she can market herself better. Uh, they've been talking about Hawaii Five-0. Actually, you came from a meeting uh, this past week right? about um, equal pay. And cultural appropriation. What was that? I had it. I just had it pulled up. Um, yeah, it was uh, Saturday, I think. Um, and, I, and I looked through the notes they had. Is it ever appropriate for a writer from a relatively privileged group to create a play with characters from a marginalized group, not her own, at the center of the narrative? Uh, somebody, a playwright was asked this question, mm-hmm. and that sparked a discussion that sparked the meeting. Now, it was ironic because it was mostly playwrights mm-hmm. um, and, you know, performers and other things, but they really did get connected to this because of their identities as playwrights. Um, a number of people had stories where they'd run into this. And, you know, what I loved about it is as we got towards the end, somebody was sort of, you know, trying to sum up and go, so what is next? And I'm like, um, next is more discussion because... Even just defining the terms of things like cultural appropriation, the way the word appropriation got used around the room was very different. The person who's using it as just sort of a neutral term versus the person who's using it as a pejorative, you know, it's like, okay, so first, before we can really get anywhere with this, we're going to have to agree on some terminology, and we may not agree on that terminology. Now, now are they talking about actors who can't get in production because someone has a production where they have, they're looking for, I don't know, an actors of a particular denomination? Or they were coming at the discussion. It opened up into the whole mm-hmm. realm. But they were talking more about that writer who wants to write a story about something that they've been excited about or something that they've maybe personally or, mm-hmm. or indirectly experienced. And they want to write that story. But, you know, to, to put it in a more personal terms, if I write a female character, mm-hmm. how much agency do I have to do that? How valid is oh, my character? Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of appropriation. They had three terms, and I loved it. It was invaders, invaders, tourists, and guests. Mm-hmm. A guest is invited in. A guest is respectful of the host. An invader doesn't care about you at all. Invader goes where they want, when they want, does what they want, takes what they want, and they just move on. And so, and then in between is that tourist thing where it's, you know, and I think that was the, um, what's her name, the Coppola mm-hmm. um, thing that we were talking about. Oh, Sophia Coppola? She wanted to, yeah. yeah, her film, she wanted to touch on the story, which has already been done as a film, mm-hmm. which comes from a book, which has black characters. Mm-hmm. She felt the representation of the black characters was inappropriate. So, she felt like it was too complicated to try and navigate that, and so she wanted to do the story without it. A lot of people look at the source material and go, well, wait a minute, then you're not telling that story, you're telling a new story. Go ahead, Dale. I'm just clueless because I didn't even, I saw that movie this week, and I had no idea. I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't even know there was source material until like two days later. Uh Someone happened to mention it. And so now we hear this. Well, the cons, I mean, one cons, right? It's a, it's a beautiful movie. She I mean, it's literally, movies. like, the pictures are pretty. Right. Um, and it's very well, sensual. Because I know what Beguiled. Beguiled. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it was based on, and see, that's, as soon as I read a synopsis, I went, wait, wait a minute. That's that Clint Eastwood movie. I had no idea. Yeah, which so is also beautiful. Yeah. So in that sense, she has 
really proved her artistry. She said, okay, this is my source material, and in that sense, I want to be true to it. It sounds like she should have made another movie. (laughs) (laughs) And we talked a little bit about this last week, because my thing, this is an old thing for me from college, and I was kind of ragging on Mary Zimmerman about it last week, and I will freely own this is my jealousy of somebody who's successful, but they're successful doing something that I think any number of people, I know I could do it, and I know other people around here who could do it better, but Berkeley Rep is not going to just give a blank check to any of us, but Mary Zimmerman could say, I was sitting on the toilet and I had a thought, and Berkeley Rep said, okay, we've got a slot for you in our season, whenever you want it. Yeah. And if you're going to call your thing like the Odyssey, but you're going to make fart jokes and do all this stuff that is very contemporary, mm-hmm. um, well, that may be a wonderful way to play with that ancient material and give it, bring it to a contemporary audience. Nothing wrong with that, but it's there are a lot of people who could do that. You are not singular. You are not Picasso yeah. doing something that nobody else has done. You are doing what a lot of us do and what a lot of us can do. Mm-hmm. You just figured out how to market it. I wish Sofia Coppola had called her film something else or said, I'm inspired by that, but I want to narrow the focus on it. It reminds me so much of uh, Clint Eastwood when he did Bird. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, wait a minute, there's a white guy doing directing this thing about Charlie Parker. And I think there was another one. I can't remember who did Schindler's List. Was that Spielberg? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spielberg, yeah. Who is Jewish? Okay, never mind. Yeah, so, so Spielberg that was, yeah. But Color Purple, he got beat up for Color oh, Purple. That's right. Okay, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. And the thing Unfairly, is, I thought. I, I loved it. Yeah, I thought the Color Purple was, was very good. I loved the book, yeah. and I loved the adaptation to the film. Right. And it had a lot of pretty pictures. Yeah. It was very pretty, but I also thought he handled How Do You Tell the Story. That was very Spielberg. It and felt, the biggest it felt that he had a, a true appreciation. Like, uh, when I think of Bird, I feel he had a true appreciation of Charlie Parker the jazz scene, and what it is to be black in the 1940s and having a heroin addiction. I I would say Spielberg is like, as as a Norman, one of the first names that I ever learned Mm -hmm. in life was John (laughs) Rockwell, who always said he's not a painter, he's an illustrator. I feel like Spielberg is an amazing illustrator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I don't don't see any problem with it now if it were to flip away. Like, I remember uh, Spike Lee, he, um, I think he tried to direct... um, a film that had nothing to do with black folks, I think. He did a bunch of them. Uh, yeah. Not a bunch, but he did some uh, yeah. 25th Hours one, isn't it? Yeah. And um, A Son of Sam. But he oh, never yeah. he never ascended to, you know, people remember Do the Right Thing and, right. and all the others. And I'm right. sure Spike has said plenty of times, well, how come how come the, um, the industry won't recognize me as a director and give me my just due? Well, well what he said is director. he's been frustrated that they pigeonhole him and say that he has to be a black director. Like, well, you're not saying that to anybody else. <laughs> right, right. Now, what do you think about the, um, I know the whole Hawaii Five-0 thing where you have um, two Asian actors, uh, um, Daniel Day Kim and uh, the female actress, and right. they're wanting to get the same pay uh, as they feel as the their white counterparts. I think they specifically have an argument for that just because they came off of Lost, right? Mm-hmm. What was the, you know, where is Lost ranked on season finales? Isn't it up in the top ten of season finales ever? These people have already, not only have they proven themselves, most importantly, they brought the bucks in for the people, the financers. Mm-hmm. So to claim that they're not going to make enough money for it's you. It's Hawaii. 
Five oh. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, like, why are we? I don't understand anyone talking. It just doesn't make sense that we still talk about this. It just doesn't make sense that it's even an issue. It's it's like, the show wants to stay true yeah. to the oppression of the, you know, the yeah. color there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at a Facebook post. Uh, TV salaries. This is from BET.com. TV salaries leaked when black actors are being screwed, and it says it takes three Anthony Andersons to equal one Tim Allen. Um, yeah, I was talking to Radhika Rao when, um, as uh, she's in Hamlet right now for SF Shakes, and she talked about the diversity, the fact that the director said, "Hey, we want you to be Guildenstern." No, actually, she's Rosencrantz, but mm-hmm. I want you. And she's doing. She talked about doing the Grave Digger scene, where she and the other character are talking in Hindi. Okay. And uh, she did it because I guess the folks in Pleasanton, there's a strong South Asian sure. yeah, community, yeah, totally. and she wanted to talk about the diversity and the fact that they have minority actors doing mm-hmm. the dirty work, right. wanting to help. Oh. So the director is thinking outside of the box on right. it, in a very traditional, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hamlet. Every Hamlet's done, you know, everywhere, um, but thinking it in a different way. You know, like when they did the production, they did the Real Women Have Curves, which is an entirely Latina cast. So, you know, that was a huge success for them. Oh, it right. really was. Oh, in, right. in every possible way, I think. I mean, it seemed like I know it was a TV award recommended production. Okay. Um, I know the set was a, a finalist, um, so they had some great work going on there. I know a lot of those actors, and they're fantastic. And it seemed like it went over very well with the audience as well. And yet, you know, it was. You have to wonder, you know, in the context of the Latina show, mm-hmm. was it is that what made it okay for the audience to to buy into it? Like it was the world. There were no, there was nothing outside of the script in terms of the casting, mm-hmm. right? Does that? Yeah. But it, but when you choose those shows, you're you're making that decision in yeah. terms. Of, I think you're right. You have to consider your audience. You have yeah. to consider how you're going to bring this story to your audience. And can they accept it? But that show has a playful, not be, might not be the right word, but a way of approaching its storytelling that is a real invitation to the audience. <laughs> I'm concerned that the reading I'm going to go see about this black man in Texas in a sundown town <laughs> may be too much of a bitter, you know, wow, this, just, this is bad, this is wrong. And I'm like, we're in Concord. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how happy these people are going to be with that message. Uh, I do wonder about, con- you know, we talk about, I guess, um, knowing what the audience is and what the audience wants. But there's also an argument for confronting the audience. I mean, obviously, if yeah. you confront them too much, they, they don't pay t- they don't walk in the door. Right. And, you know, you've got a problem. But I guess there, I, I guess there should be a balance between... You can always give the audience exactly what they want, or you can say, you know what, I'm going to just push you a little bit. And sometimes you know, it's almost like a fader. Mm-hmm. You know, how far do you go to the edge? Well, that's and that's this argument to bring it back to Hawaii Five O. Right. That is the argument of the producers: is we have to serve our audience. We have to give them what they want. We have to give them what they're comfortable with. And since they don't normally get this part of, you know, the spectrum, mm-hmm. we don't want to push that too hard. Wait a minute. So yeah, what you're basically exactly. saying to these actors is, we're doing you a favor by including you. Like that's our diversity is that we're including you, yeah. but because we're make, doing you a favor, we don't have to pay you. But there's another thing as well, and I've heard this from a lot of women, not only in acting but also in just other things, where the pay is hidden. No one talks about what they're getting paid, and all of a sudden, right. when that when that 
conversation opens up. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't realize that I wasn't getting paid. Like, I think about the fact that they've been on Hawaii Five-0 for several years. Right. And now this conversation is happening. Right. Well, and... <laughs> but that doesn't really happen in local, I mean, usually in theater. Oh, no, it happens everywhere. Come on. We've already had the discussion about, like, I don't, I, I, I will talk to, after, after we're done, I will talk to you about the, the name. There is an actor, there's a black actor in the Bay Area who is non-union. But when he auditions for a show and he knows they're considering union, oh. he then, when they offer him a role, goes back to them and says, yeah, but you got to pay me. Mm-hmm that much money, mm-hmm. and they may be able, and he's willing to negotiate, but he's he starts his negotiation at, you're going to pay the equity actor X amount, that sounds like a good salary to me, why aren't you going to pay me X amount, and he forces them to justify why they think they get to pay them less, mm-hmm. and that's the issue with, with this thing with the Y50, I think, is these actors have basically come and said, we have a standing, what's the Q rating? Mm-hmm. We have standing. We are a marketable product. Mm-hmm. You've been using us from the beginning of the show as a marketable product. Mm-hmm. We're just saying you need to pay us. Yep, that's exactly right. And that debate is always going to go on. That debate is, you know, I remember the first time I negotiated a contract. I just didn't want to, and ironically, it was in concrete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I did not want to make that big commute for the money that they were offering. And so I said, I need more money. I guess I got it as a voicemail. So I responded and got voicemail and was like, I I, I need more money. No, I talked to him because he said, how much? And suddenly I hadn't, like, thought about how much. (laughs) Like, if I knew the other actors are getting paid X, then, of course, I would say, well, I should get paid as much as the actors, the other actors. If I'm playing a major role, I should get paid what the other major roles are getting paid. (laughs) But I just said, um... I just sort of ballparked it and came up with a figure that was like twice what they were offering. And I said, okay, well, let me talk to my managing director, but we might be able to do that. And they called me back within a day and offered me a goal. And I was was like, whoa, I thought I just talked myself out of a job. And for me, it was really more about, I'm not going to make that commute when it's basically you're going to take, I'm going to take your check and put it in my gas tank. And, and it's, it's in, in, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself how many times I've gone into a theater which has wonderful facilities, and uh, you can tell that they've got money coming in, but yet the actors are being paid, you know, the bare minimum. And as actors, we just naturally accept that, especially non-equity. We just say, well, they, that's, that's all they're well, offering. And I would offer that as an artist, you have to ask yourself how you do your art and how is it meaningful to you. And not let somebody else set that up. Right. Because, you know, readings typically pay like $25, $30. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's next to nothing. Uh, my wife is horrified when she hears that I go to two rehearsals and I get paid 25 bucks. You know, two rehearsals in a performance and I get paid 25 bucks. And she's like, <laughs> that don't fly where she, where she works at right. all. Right. But I'm like, well... I'm excited at the, the people who are doing it or the piece or the role. It doesn't feel like a big commitment of time. So I'm, I know I am putting out for this. Mm-hmm. But it also puts me out there, puts, connects me to certain, you know, there's a certain level of networking. Sure. It's, it's valuable to and, me. And, and, and you, know who, you know who has money and who doesn't. I mean, right. If, I, if I'm doing something for like a low, like I remember uh, doing 
We did um, Raymond Rates a long time ago. We did uh, the marriage of Raymond. As a matter of fact, he, I, I talked to him on Facebook and he was like, hey, you know, I hear you're doing the yay. You know, you mentioned, I'm like, you mentioned your name before. But But we did uh, the marriage of Benton Boo. It must have been a converted laundromat. I mean, you know, we, we were just flat broke. I mean, he created the company Diversity Over Duration. But really, it was just a one, he just created just to do the show, The Marriage of Ben Boo, and everything was coming out of his pocket. So, you don't want to take advantage of someone like that. But, I'm not going to mention any names, but right. I, I did a production, and it was a wonderful facility, and literally, we were paid just the, the same amount of money that it took to get to the, the theater and right. back. Right. And it was like, okay, well, that's virtually nothing. And a lot of actors were complaining. Well, yeah, and you, you know, so you have to make that thing. And I know for, in recent years, there have been lots of times where somebody might call me about something, there is almost no money. And I'm like, wow, that is a hellish commute. You're really asking for like two months of my life Mm -hmm. for pretty much no money. It sounds like it's in other ways. Because I I became a union actor. I've said this before. I became a union actor because I kept doing shows under bats. I kept doing shows where they had to adhere to certain policies, you know, through the union. And I was comfortable with that, and I liked it. I loved, at the end of the night, nobody going, well, we got started late, so could we go for another 45 minutes? Oh, hell no. I got to get up tomorrow morning. And I planned my time to be here, and I showed up on time. You can't waste my time like that. So those sorts of organizations, and I remember as a young actor, and again, this is another thing I've said before, as a young actor, I remember talking after American Shakespeare Company. We're getting ta- started, and we're talking about what we were going to do next. And I talked to, um, wasn't Hansford Prince, it was um, Perniman, Chico Perniman. Um, what, what if they offered you Hamlet? I said, would you do Hamlet? He's like, well, yeah, if they were paying me. I said, no, no, but it's Hamlet. He's like, if they were paying me, it depends on how much they were paying me. Right. And I now understand that I'm like, I can read Hamlet if I want to understand and appreciate and feel Hamlet. I can read Hamlet at home for free. Mm-hmm. Or I can go do your little show where I'm paying for the privilege of being here. No. No, no, no. I really can't sit home and just read it and be happy. So as an artist, you have to sort of make that decision. How long do you pay dues before you go, I paid enough dues. I'm not paying no more dues. You need to pay me. Yeah. I mean, a young actor, they need to fill up their resume. So it's understandable. But there comes a point where it's like, okay, this is, I'm done with all this. I need to be compensated. So, Dale, do you enjoy being on stage more? Or, I mean, because you act and you also direct. I mean, what do you prefer better? I mean, what do you get out of most? Well, I got to say, now that I've reached a certain age, (laughs) (laughs) it's so much harder for me to be an actor. Um, Aside from uh, having put on more than a few pounds over the last few years, um, and just the my memory isn't anything like it used to be. It's just, it's literally so hard for me to... You did good on Skin of Skin of uh, the Lines. That was, well, and, and talk about stretch work. Who in the world would... I, I, God bless Susan. Who in the world <laughs> would think of me for that part? That's just Mr. strange. Of us. That's crazy talk. Yeah. On these. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that. But yeah, that was that was a particularly difficult show to to get off before. That was really, really difficult. But even 
recently, I mean, I played a small multi-character track for Golden Thread last at the end of last year, and I don't know, I think if you'd put all my lines on, you know, just consecutively, it probably would have been three pages worth of dialogue. Uh-huh. I still had to sit with my script every night and yeah. refresh every night. Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm going to be 50 in two weeks, and I'm Yay! like, Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm on the other side of 50, I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> same for everybody but for me man it's just it's really hard to um and to have the stamina and the energy sometimes um and i also suffer from stage fright pretty badly um i, I can never tell no i remember you saying this before though. yeah i mean literally the last thoughts before i go on stage anytime ever is what can i do to get out of this what is the what is the least amount of injury i could bring to myself that would you know, not paralyze me, but um, be a reasonable excuse for me to not have to do this. I mean, I'm not yeah. literate, I'm not right. realistically yeah. great. But, but yet you do what you mean. Um, so what is, how so where's the joy then? Yeah. Where, where does your joy continue? Because that, that all instantly evaporates the minute it starts. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It all is completely gone. Um, yeah. It just, it's, it's, it's. Especially when you get to tell the, the kinds of stories that really mean something to you, it's yeah. it just takes all of that other crap away. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, I can suffer a little bit. I don't care. You know, I, I would do I would do take me out every day of my life if someone would let me. Um, <laughs> um, so it just it it just depends. I totally hear you. I mean, it's and it's funny because. I'm a type of, I mean, I'm a serious type of a guy, and there are times where I can get very anxious as far as, like, you know, my, my usual job. I work for the DA's office as a paralegal. I handle, you know, 14 attorneys and 14 investors, and I'm always, okay, what what do I need to get done or whatever? Right. And it's strange. I thought I would have that same feeling as an actor. I guess it's all about preparation. If you're prepared, I'm, I'm sort of, it's almost like game time. I can't get to, get to wait to go on stage. <laughs> so I thought that I would feel that way, but... I guess psychologically it's just different when I when I step on stage. Like I, I would hope that, you know, when you find yourself at the point where, where it just is more of a struggle than a joy, <laughs> that you'd say enough. But um, it's weird. Um, Mara uh, just got an email, a trombonist that she knows. She plays trombone. Uh-huh. Her trombonist that she knows um, apparently is dead. I mean, it's, it's a Facebook thing. So you're oh, like, wow. you're oh, going, wait right. a minute, is this true? What's oh, going on? Yeah. And she's searching to try and get this information. And he's a guy who recently just said, I'm done with this, I'm retiring. And I said, well, I mean, you know, apart from the, the tragedy and the, and the shock of what's going on right at this moment, do you think you'll ever get there? Do you? And, you know, is there a way to do that positively? Is there a way to go, you know, I'm just at the point where, because I remember seeing, oh gosh, what was his name, Ken... Um, he was an ACT actor, among other things, older guy. And I did a workshop development thing, and he and, oh, man, I can't even remember the woman now. It was just a two-hander. And um, and he just was struggling with, you know, trying to get real oh, connected to the material. But he's so good. At that point in his life, he really could do the phone book. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, wow, if it... You know, as long as it's coming across to the audience, so we're, all the other actors in the development process are watching and going, holy, I hope, 
my kids still do that when I'm his age. Um, but, you know, from the other side, if you're that age and it just feels like it's more of a struggle, then it's worth when you stop. Yeah, there's a, there's a good friend of mine. I hope to have him on the show, John Hutchinson. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I he was in Hundred Years of Queer Theater, right? Yeah, the other yeah. Much. And uh, there, was, there was one um, show that we did, and it was um, it was um, block block hobble, I think, um, audience. Oh, okay. um, where the lines just repeat over and over again. I mean, the, and the lines alternate just a little bit, and it's really really tough, and it's almost. A series, it's all a series of monologues where the other characters just throwing in lines, just blip, blip, blip. Okay. And Hutch had a problem. He had a, he had a real problem in just getting everything, but he had such a great presence about him, and that's, that's the fantastic thing about Hutchinson. And you could never tell if you were an audience member and you were entertained by him, but he was like, oh man, I just can't. And that's an interesting thing as a director. Here's a question for you, Dale. On the other side, if you can tell, have you ever dealt with an actor who, I don't know, is struggling or isn't prepared or whatever? I mean, how do you, there, there's such an alchemy, I've never directed before, of communicating with actors, and you can never communicate with one actor the same way. Right. Um, <laughs> how do you deal with communicating with actors, let's say getting your vision and your art uh, conveyed to them? Well, I think I might be a little weird on uh, my in my directing work. Um, I'm not I'm not trained as a director, really. I took, like, one class when I was 21 years old, I think. Um, but I'm not really trained as a director, and I, I kind of stumbled into it when I was producing. Right. Um, and I, I, I like to think that I approach directing as an actor. Um, and so, for me, the idea of a, of a the, the vision of the piece mm-hmm. comes together as we're all working together. Ninety yeah. percent um, of the time, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be cases where you know something is very is clear to me for a particular reason. There's a particular thing I want I want to happen or whatever mm-hmm. um, as the, for the experience for the audience. But um, I look at it as as assembling the group that I the best group that I possibly can and shaping them into the vet into the the best. Um, the best production that we that we can have, mm-hmm. given who we have and what they are bringing to it and what their strengths are, and finding um, the finding it organically, all the specific stuff that we need to fill it out yeah. organically from what those particular people that are involved have, whether that's the the actor, the, the lead actor, the actor who has the ten lines, or the you know even in, through the lighting designer and the set designer too. It's even it's just you know. What are what are these unique this like this production will never happen again right right so who what are these people bringing to it yeah. and what can I steal from all of these people to what can I uh, magnify from these particular people to make it the best production that we can yeah have you ever had any difficulty with I don't know one or two individuals not necessarily they're being difficult but they're just not quite getting it this is the same question I asked Craig Susan the other day. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I know I, I definitely have. Um, I don't know what to. I don't know exactly what to say about it. I mean, well, how do you? Um, can you? What, what or, or do you let the actor just work it out? I mean, you know, you may be seeing something on stage it's like, whoa, okay, that's a little different. But you know, maybe they'll be they're showing you something that that's that's different. Maybe uh, it'll I'll warm up to it. Or is there a time where you, <laughs> you sort of cut it off and it's like, hey, you know. We need to talk about what you're doing. 
concept of this production will never happen again and these are the people that are involved in this that um, I would definitely handle the situations in the past differently today if left to my own devices. There have been cases when I haven't been left to my own devices and I haven't been able, I've had to make some choices that I wouldn't, I would I would make I would, I would do differently today. Sure, yeah, a do-over. Yeah, mm-hmm, I
too. All the other voices in that need to be solid in order for that little voice to mean anything to us. And so that is what I learned. And I do that with a lot of casting. I start going, wow, this is the hard role. I'm going to cast my strongest actor in that role. And you might be the lead. But if you're going up against somebody who's got some power, then our story gets propelled forward. If you're the powerful one and everybody you're going up against is weak, then why are we even watching this? Now, now here's a question, a last question before we get into our shout-outs and all of that. We should, yes. Because um, you talk about strong actors and weak actors, but what, what, what if you get it wrong? What if you, during the audition process, you're like, okay, that's a strong actor, mm-hmm. and the person isn't? They just gave a good monologue. You better, you better adjust. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had that happen before, or is, is, that, is that an anomaly? No, Usually, no, no, it happens. Okay. Yeah, it does happen. Um, and, I mean, there are, you also have to determine, are you just witnessing a bump in the road through right. the rehearsal process, or is right. it actually, oh my gosh, this is not the person I thought they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and nine out of ten times, they are, they're the bumps. They really yeah. are. Yeah. People really do come through. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, just distinguishing what's <laughs> what's panic and what's um, right. what can I actually do something about. Those right. nights are going to lose sleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Usually the actor will come to you. Like, I know if I'm on stage and I know that I'm struggling, that's one of the good things that I love about Susan Evans. Mm-hmm. I can go to her and say, listen, before I do anything crazy on stage, I'm just going to let you know this is an idea that I have for the character. And she'll tell me, huh? I don't think so. And I'll pick up on it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll go here. Right. Or she'll say, okay, let me do what you're going to do, and I'll take a look at it. And if I have a problem with it, I'll tell you. If not, then I'll just yeah, whatever. You're a much nicer actor than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll just surprise. You'll just do whatever you want to do. Right. It's rehearsal. Yeah. So if you say stop or you say, you know that thing you just did? Don't ever do that again. Okay. <laughs> no audience saw it. But I find that at least, you know, at least 50% of the time, there's no comment at all, and I get to do what I want to do. Yeah. Sometimes I think that I'm saving time because if I if I do something and I, I spend, and I spend let's say an hour mm-hmm. on rehearsal of doing something, and all of a sudden the director's like, eh, I, I really don't like that, or I don't understand why you, what you're doing, mm-hmm. then I just you know it's an hour. Then I just but if I tell the person, if but if you haven't spent that hour really trying something new and trying something crazy, like I steal Patrick Dooley all the time saying dare to suck. Like it's probably right. like eight years ago I heard him say that, and I like every show I ever work on, I'm like either I challenge myself or I'm telling my actors you gotta dare to suck. Right. Like you, right. you gotta take that hour. That's what it's for. You gotta mm-hmm. take take the hour, take the two hours. Take guess what? We've been doing this three weeks. Oops. Mm-hmm. Right. We yeah. gotta re- we gotta rethink something. Yeah. It's it's part of part of the power of shotgun players is they are willing to color outside the lines, push towards something that maybe nobody thought about. Yeah. And I'll tell the director, listen, I'm gonna try something crazy. I'm like, okay, we'll do, let's go. And boom. Well, I, I can give two examples from the class I've been teaching. God of Carnage is a fun, fun play. Um, I took a short sequence. And made all of the students do it. So in groups of four, because it's four characters in the play, in groups of four to deal with this scene. How old? 
These are high school, okay. junior, senior, mostly okay. a bunch of folks that are getting ready to go to college. Okay, okay. Plus freshmen, though, one of the tallest people. I'm picturing elementary school students oh doing copy cards. Please get to the students. That. That, that, that would be fun. fun. That would be fun. Uh, but um, two of the girls decided that they would go for um, doing yoga as Veronica. There's a hippie mm. new age chick in the in the characters. And they decided they would do yoga during it. Well, it totally didn't work because they were so focused on how do they do the yoga and where do they do it and what was going on that they weren't connecting to anybody. But it was the boldest choice out of what everybody did. And I pointed it out today. I said, I'm not, I'm not pulling this up to say you did wrong. I'm pulling it up to say everybody else, you missed that aspect of this character. That new age aspect, you totally missed it. <laughs> and, you know, to, to and invite them to do that. I pulled up a young man today. I uh, we're doing uh, one of the scenes is from um, because it's Eugene O'Neill House. <laughs> we're doing um, Long Day's Journey into Night. Wonderful nice. scene. The actor that I made um, the father. Oh my, he is struggling. I really threw him in the deep end of the pool, and he's trying to find it. And I'm like, you know what? We've got a couple of days, mm-hmm. and we get to play with this scene. I'm going to let you struggle. And sometimes those are, those are the wonderful moments where an actor can really learn, um, you know, what theater is all about by struggling and getting through that struggling. Well, you, know, you get through it because performance day comes and wherever you're at, that's what you're going to put on stage. Right. But I know for myself, there are roles that I look at now decades later and go, oh, my gosh, I wish I, I hope I get to play that role again because the way I will approach it now is totally different. Yeah. But – it is rooted in all the things that I learned way back then. So I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid of him failing. And I'm hoping that I can find some way to push him at least a step or two more into the character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Shout outs. Shout outs. Um, oops, I turned my page. Uh, so uh, Central Works is opening right winter on. right now. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I went to a comment on it when I saw it pop up. And it, this is at the Berkeley City Club. Um, they are going to run for like a month. They're opening mm-hmm. this weekend. And on Brandy Avenue, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I started to write, I've been t- asking you guys to do this. And I went, wait a minute. And I went back and corrected. I've been wanting you guys, because I have talked to them about it, but wanting them to do something about this. This is about a woman who mm-hmm. is hitting that point where she knows she's getting old and dementia is starting to set in. Mm-hmm. How does she want to deal with it? Mm-hmm. And we're in a period where that's an important thing. You know, yeah. and if you deal with it in a wonderfully theatrical way, hallelujah. Awesome. Um, so what are the dates again for that? Uh, it opens this weekend. Okay. And uh, it'll run through August 13th. Yeah. And also, I talked to Gary Graves, so he'll be on the show. Um, Good. Well, he wrote it. So uh, I think he wrote Or did, did he direct it? No, I think he directed it. Yeah, I think he directed it, and uh, he'll he'll be on this show, The Yay. Oh, we'll get Gary. <laughs> That'll be a couple of weeks from now, because obviously he's busy with the opening of uh, that. Uh, well, I've got two more. The oh, I'm sorry. Opera, opera fans, uh, the console, which is a show about immigrants and immigration, and I had to write down the um, the writer is Minotti. Okay. Uh, so people know opera. That's going up uh, tonight, actually. So you're missing it, um, but it'll go up again Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, my voice teacher is part of a group in Mercer awesome. that does opera, and it was funny because I mentioned it to a tax person recently. Mm-hmm. She knew opera and knew it, and she was all excited. So cool! I want to get that out. And then the final one is we talked about it. Robert Estes was on from Anton's Well. Mm-hmm. Um, Tender Palm opens tonight. 
and they'll be running for, I think, three weeks. Um, and so I'll say more about it. Antonswell.org, I believe yep. they are. And we'll put up and centralworks.org. Yep, and we'll put a link to that as well. Well, for me, speaking of cash, and we mentioned Atlas a little bit too, um, MinCon's The Four Immigrants is opening at TheaterWorks. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, so he's been supported by cash, uh, and he received a Titan Award through the Theater Bay Area Atlas program. So, uh, and so this is just a, it's a fantastic thing that local playwright, local musician, original musical happening at TheaterWorks, directed by Leslie Martinson, who's the most wonderful person in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this... Uh, like it's gonna have legs. It's gonna be. A, it's the. Sh- That's sh- right. It's a. Ama- I can't wait. The diary deserves more. I can't wait. It's yeah. I mean, it's just it's insane. So July twelfth through August sixth. And what's the show again called? For immigrants. For immigrants. Fantastic. And uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Arin Elmario, is uh, she is directing Tagalog, which is opening at Demonstrative Studios. Yeah, opens yeah, I saw that. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see that? No, I saw the, uh, the notice for it. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's exactly right. And uh, that will be opening. Uh, it's opening today, and there are only eight performances. Um, so they did July 13th. That was yesterday. And then uh, today, as a matter of fact, as of right now, they're probably on stage. July 22nd, there's a matinee at 2 p.m., uh, 14th through the 29th. So that's Thursdays through Saturdays at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. at Bendelstrup Studios. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'll toot my own horn just a little bit. I was going to say, was it for immigrants at this? That's right. Men in in Paris. For men in Paris. Uh, I've been working on a play um, for two years now, and um, Play Cafe has accepted uh, my piece uh, for a table read, Mm -hmm. and that will be in uh, two weeks on Monday, July 24th. Right. And also, Musical Cafe has accepted uh, my musical, Mia, <laughs> which uh, will be, uh, that's way in October. That's October the 26th to the 28th, and there'll be other three other musicals. I have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. But Play Cafe and also uh, Musical Cafe, it's a wonderful venue if you're a young, budding writer uh, and also an actor. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in the uh, Richard Wright, the uh, four. That's right, for Paris. Paris. Yeah, yeah you, you will be Richard. So uh, hopefully mm-hmm. you can come out. Uh, to see that cool. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and I think that's it. We we are well over the hour. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, wanna, I don't want to keep you down. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. That was great. great. That was super fun. Time was. Time was. We've got to find a better time. Yeah, we've got to find a better time. That's it.